We are all born ignorant, but one must work hard to remain stupid. Attributed to Benjamin Franklin. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Secrets of Saturn. I am Jason Lindgren, your host. On this episode, Michelle Vaughn returns to tell us of her further adventures. All right, Michelle, welcome back. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure being here, Jason. Well, you want to continue on with the, the adventures that you've had for the past nine months, so I am just going to let you do that. Okay. Oh, gosh, so much has happened. Um, well, remember when I met you in Hollywood and we did the show then? Mm-hmm. I, I was essentially gone for two months. I had gone to the location to begin my training, and then after two months, I had to leave and I didn't quite know why I had to leave at that time because my life is a series of just going in the moment, following the energy and following the path. So my leaving was like within an hour's notice. So when I left, I, I had no clue as to why that was. And then simultaneously, I coincidentally met Crystal you know, I was at a store and then we started chatting and she's, you know, I was telling her, you know, I was going to this place in that location. She says, wow, I'm leaving to go to, I have a friend that's driving to LA right now and he's a radio show host. And <laughs> when she said that, I was like, okay, I get it. Now I have a feeling why I'm here because you were, you were still on your road trip to, to Los Angeles. Yes. So you know, I was like, okay, okay, that's what it is. I'm supposed to meet Crystal so that I can meet Jason so I can get this show, which was the show we did about, what was it, nine months? Nine, yeah, nine months ago or, or seven months ago, actually. So anyway, so this is the continuous of, of that. So I left and, um, and, and now I'm here again in L.A. and still the same thing. You know, spare the moment. you got to leave. I, you know, I kind of have a glimmering of why I'm here again. But anyway, but I'm going to reflect back to the time I first met you and we did that show. I, for two months, was living in, I would say, the center of the United States. I had chosen to do a nine-month series of in-depth training. I would, I wouldn't, well, essentially I would kind of call it a boot camp, but it was, it was much more than that. I was mentally trained. I was physically trained. I was, my psychic skills were, were more enhanced. I, I had to learn the different seasons and the adaption of spring, summer, winter, and fall. And I was living in a tent and essentially I was homeless you know, I was training with uh, an amazing gentleman by the name of Joe, who I had a relationship with, an on and off again relationship, I guess you could say, for about four years, which I discussed also in that first radio show that we did. Um, I had been in, I had learned how to be in the snow, you know, 27 degrees, the rain, you know, my, my mental sparring energetically was enhanced. Everything was changed for me. So in that two month period, the, the, the training broke and I came to LA. That's when I met you and I did the show. So I didn't think we would ever do another show. You know, I, I, I thought that would be it. So now I'm here again and I'm doing a show with you again. But I wanted to share my experience of the nine months and, and what that actually entailed and why I went through those those nine months. 
I essentially spent a lot of time with a, with a lot of people that were, were, were just considered the throwaways of our, our government and our system. I wanted to live amongst them. I wanted to have conversations with them. I wanted to share my life with them and understand who they were, what they were, what they were going through and why they were going through the situations that they were going through, you know, and I, and I got to meet some profound, amazing people. And the circumstances weren't just because they were not willing to, to live a life that's different than that. They were put in certain circumstances where they really had no choice. And because we're living in, in the United States now, there's more and more homeless people. I mean, I am so surprised that I'm in L.A. and I've heard stories that, you know, there was a, several buses that were shipped from, from Las Vegas that came to L.A. and brought um, enormous amounts of homeless folks and just dropped them off at Skid Row here in L.A. So each – and I heard that Alaska has enormous amounts of people that are also homeless, which – I'm, you know, I mean, I'm not shocked anymore because, you know, our middle class is, de- you know, deteriorating at such a rapid pace. So back to the story, I lived with these people and I experienced also a military type training where I went without food certain days and I didn't shower for like sometimes six days. I went through enormous physical pain and anguish and mental strategies and, and everything. And I, and I wanted to share my experience with them because they didn't actually know who I was. You know, I came into this town and, you know, they, they didn't know. But also the agenda and the lower genders and the upper genders actually got the memo that I was there and they would, they showed up at the local McDonald's where we had coffee every morning. And, you know, I didn't even know that this was, this was happening. Joe basically said, you're being monitored almost every day and, and they're, they're watching you, but they're not allowed to interfere. And that was really fascinating because I wasn't aware that that was going to happen. Did he define who was watching and, and what organizations were interested in keeping an eye on all of you? Yes, it was the the light, or essentially what people uh, call the Illuminati. But but I want to reiterate that they do not refer to themselves at the, as the Illuminati. They're the key men. They're called the key men, and I will explain why that is. The key men open doors. Okay, they create realities with keys. Keys are essentially information. Okay, all, all a key is is a, is a form of energetic data and information that gets to one, to open one door, that, to open another door. Okay, so that is essentially what they're called, the key men. Okay, and it's similar to that movie, if you've ever seen that movie called Dark City with Jennifer Conley. Yeah, I remember that. Mm-hmm. Okay, you know how there was these group of men that switched the environment, the timing, the scenarios, all of that stuff. Okay, that essentially is what they do. And they use a form of frequency data to continue and create these different realities and get situations resolved that they need to get resolved. Okay, so that is the agenda and the upper agenda that was there. They were a lot of the Masonics, some of the higher-end Masonics. There was some Aryans, Aryan Brotherhood. Um, You know, they used to show up in, in their, you know, 
they weren't exactly military, but they showed up in their, their outfits, you know, very, you know, well-groomed, very put together, you know, they would nod and shake, you know, shake my hand and say hello and everything. But, you know, at the end, when I was getting ready to depart, they all knew that I was leaving and they didn't know when I'd be back and, and Joe didn't elaborate on anything, but it was, it was my nine months and that, you know, nine, like I said, nine months is completion. When a baby's in the womb, it takes nine months for that child to be ready to be birthed. So it's a very symbolic number. And, mm, that's and what I was thinking. I, yeah. And in my life, I go by symbolic numbers. Everything essentially is a mathematical sequence of numbers. So my nine months was up. And of course, I instantly left again. And I came here. And I didn't know exactly why I was here because I hadn't received the next piece of information. So anyway, so that was essentially my nine months, and now I'm back in L.A., and I'm essentially kind of all over L.A. You know, I'm, I'm here with clients. I'm working with a lot of different people, and I'm going to, you know, different events and things like that. So, so that was my nine months, and that was the interview that I did with you two months after I had, had been there. And then I went back and finished the seven months after we did the radio show. That's, that's quite, a, quite an adventure, I would say. Yeah, it was it was probably the most profound time of my life and it was the most difficult, the most painful, but yet it was the most rewarding time I've ever spent. You know, I mean, it was definitely necessary and I met and experienced just the just a I mean, how did I I don't even know if I can explain it at this point. Just the dissolving of humanity and seeing the people that I saw and the heartbreak and the situations and, you know, I was in it and nobody really knew who I was. I mean, I was just this lady that came, you know, from who lived in Los Angeles and who came, nobody really had a clue and they were, you know, they asked questions, they were asking personal questions and they, they didn't really know who Joe, I mean, they, they didn't really know who Joe was either at, you know, at the point. So it was, it was, it was difficult. You know, I, I went through a lot of emotional pain and physical pain and, you know, but I, you know, I survived. <laughs> I'm here to tell the tell. <laughs> well, let's get into more detail uh, from the okay. the day we, uh, we had lunch at Cantor's Deli in Los Angeles. Right. Anybody yes. who uh, goes to Los Angeles, I'm sure is very familiar with that, mm -hmm. that place. Pretty, pretty well, world renowned, really. Um, yes. Where did you go from there? Because <laughs> I think it was only a day or two later, we were gone. Yes. Uh, back on, you know, the second leg of our journey. And how did you get out to, I'm not even sure where it is you went to. Well, yeah, I don't, I'm not going to really, it's actually where I stayed was the 38th parallel. And it's, if you understand energy grids on the planet, the 38th parallel, par, excuse me, parallel uh, goes all the way to the Giza pyramids in Egypt. So there's, there's an, so I stayed right on top of it. <laughs> So there's a connection to the stars in Orion, and, and I connected with that energy grid. And this is the, uh, connecting with the whole ley lines, like the, the energy grid of the planet, right? Right, right, right. And I had to get really grounded into the earth and really – because I'm, I'm part Native American. So my heritage is Indians, and we are very connected to Mother Earth, to <clears> – <throat> oh, excuse me – to the environment, to nature – so I had to reconnect my to my ancestries, okay, of the Native American, but also I had to reconnect to my past history with Egypt as well. So that link 
just ignited me and, and actually assisted my training. So what was the purpose of, of, of the training? Who was training you and what did you go over? Well, the training is in was because of what the next piece is for me. And I'm going to kind of explain that. So I had to discuss the training first. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, okay. I, what I want to discuss is, is I want to discuss a group called the Giannis Group. Okay. How do you and spell that? It's J-A-N-U-S. Okay. And, and Giannis is the god of, of two sides, the god of the beginning and the god of the end. Okay, that is essentially what that, what that means. The alpha and the omega? Exactly. Okay, and, and the Giannis group is a, is a far superior group than what the government has trained as far as the MK Ultra soldiers. The MK Ultra soldiers are essentially used up. They're, they're trained they're, they they don't always have the um, aptitude and the comprehension to handle what they're actually used for. So the training usually ends up destroying them one on one level or another, physically, mentally, emotionally. They just cannot handle or withstand the amount of data and information that is being constantly put through them, put through their brains. They're actually mind-controlled. You know, they're, they're microchipped. They're... They're just, you know, once the training's over and they're utilized, they don't usually fare very well. And there's a lot of people that have gone off the deep end, like Michael Prince. When Michael Prince came out, who's, who's an, a very intelligent man, but he couldn't hold space with the data or information. So what ends up happening to these, these folks that actually are trained on that level, they just psychologically cannot get out of the mind-controlled situation they can't they can't you know essentially get back into a real life and be in you know you know functioning as a as a human anymore they've just they've been used up thrown away and whatever happened to them happened to them so that's the mk ultra group and that's pretty much describes that but this, was that this, in reference to uh, the homeless people you're referring to because some of them are the the victims of this no, I never. No, none of them were. They were. Some of them were just ex, a few ex male, and some of them were just you know people that just went on bad terms, and life got a hold of them, and they just spiraled out, and that's that's all they had. But I want to explain the different groups. Uh, the Giannis group has nothing to do with our government. Okay, the Giannis group is a super elite, super secret group that works only through the key men. They they don't have issues with with their brains not being able to have the aptitude or the perception or comprehend. They can handle much more extensive information and situations. They're they're trained killers, and and I essentially was with the 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 top one. That is who I was trained with. And he essentially, in 1980, well, I'll kind of explain how, how the Giannis group kind of transpired. In 1947 in, in Germany is when it was basically discovered or, or you know, they were beginning to, to utilize this training and understanding of psychic abilities. Then it spread essentially pretty much all over the planet. I mean, Lund Europe has their own group and United States, you know, each, each country – has their own group. So 
1985, he was, let's see, how do I put this? He was approached because he had done all his military work and, and his aptitude was off the charts. His abilities were off the charts. So he was approached and they brought him in to a specific uh, training, which was in San Diego. And he, they didn't quite at that time know the capability that he had. So he was kind of going into a group that was already, they had already been utilizing it and already training. So this was an interesting story that he shared with me. When he first got there, he had written on a piece of paper that all the events that would take place in that eight-week time period, because it's an eight-week training session. So in that, or actually, was it five? It could have been five. I'm not 100%. It was either five or eight. In that time period, he wrote on a piece of paper all the events that would take place prior to the actually happening. So he sealed the paper, closed the envelope, and gave it to the instructor and said, now, when this is over, I want you to read this. So after the five course, there were some people that dropped out and couldn't maintain. But what happened was, is when the course was done, Joe said, now, now remember that envelope that I gave you? And he said, oh, yeah. He said, now go back and now open it and read it. And verbatim, every single thing that occurred in that group, who dropped out, who did what, was on that list. He had seen the future on every single level. And actually, and, and that gentleman was just astounded. So basically what happened is Joe rewrote all the SOP for the Giannis group in 1985. And SOP is Standard Operation Procedure. So essentially, the name of the group was changed to Giannis, which is the Alpha and the Omega. So anyway, so anyway, <laughs> that that is what the Giannis group is. And, and the Giannis group does assassins. They, they literally can give somebody a heart attack and they can give someone a brain aneurysm. They can they, – every kind of psychic ability at the highest level is what they perform when it is necessary. And, and the key men are the ones that set this all up. Do you understand that? Yes. And I will explain how, how it's done. And this is <laughs> – anyway, I'm just going to do all this, okay? So <laughs> – <laughs> I've been a little bit stressed out about this, just a little bit, but anyway, it has to come out. So anyway, so what happens is, is each of these people, these part of these psychic assassins, they have what is a it's a credit card. Okay, there's no name. Okay, all there is is a numbers on the credit card. Those cards are filled up financially with whatever the assassin needs at that time. And it's a ten digit number. So there's no name, there's no there's no connection to anybody. You understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So when these ops are done, you know, planes are prepared, everything's prepared, they're, car they're good to go. And it's done instantly, and then, then they're back to wherever they need to be. Okay, so that is still ongoing and, and still in the green. It's what they do. And that is the honest group. Okay. What's their, uh, what, what's their purpose? What, what, what are they trying to achieve? Well, they take out essentially people that get in their way or people that they that they don't or they you know they they have a they have the ability to see into the future so they can stop something before it actually essentially goes further. So they can instigate a, a maneuver and not have something play out. 
they're 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 chess they're chess players they're strategists and they make sure that, that what they're trying to implement goes as smoothly as possible so they so the, and they're mentalists i mean their aptitude is beyond what regular humans are capable of understanding and their vision and what they're capable of seeing is far superior so they're they're essentially like watching the chess pieces and if a chess piece is moving in the wrong direction they'll make sure that it, it no longer is capable of moving. So are they sort of tapping into the uh, the various waveforms of possibility and looking at how to collapse waveforms to get the result that yes. the end result that they want. Exactly. So you hit the nail on the head. That's exactly what I'm getting into. Okay. So anyway, um Okay, so that that I established it's a pretty extensive, extensive group. I mean, it, you know, if you want to talk about, you know, the movies that are coming out, you know, and, and the information that's supporting so much of this, this, you know, people saying, hey, this is really real. I mean, our our movies are reflecting a lot of this now, and there's a reason for that. I mean, there's a preparation to to what is coming. And I'm, you know, trying to do preparation also you know i'm trying to prepare you know and i did so and i also want to discuss my connection with uh russia and putin because i i have surveillance and i for both united states and russia which i didn't know why i i didn't know why until i got face to face with joe because there were certain things we did not discuss over the phone and there were certain pieces of the puzzle that were still not linked together. And I was still not, you know, I didn't have, you know, they were, they were inconclusive. And I needed, I needed the links to fill in. Um, last year, I had just flown back from Las Vegas. And I, I came to visit my parents in L.A. And I was staying at my parents' house for about a month. And I had friend requested this gentleman from Russia. And... And we were chatting periodically, and then he said, let's Skype. I want to I Skype. He said, but we are not allowed. He says, I do not want to use the camera. He says, I, I injured my neck, and, and let's just, you know, we'll talk. And I was in agreement to that. He seemed like a very lovely gentleman. He didn't, you know, the energy that he had was pretty phenomenal. I knew that this was a piece that I had to connect with. So essentially, I started Skyping with him. And I started talking to him every day for about three and a half weeks. And, and the conversations were, went from very light to, to somewhat complex. And I knew that I was dealing with the individual that was a very high frequency. Um, I could feel his energy. He, he could feel mine. It was, you know, it, it, was, it was an interesting three, three and a half weeks. You know, I mean, he, he spoke relatively good English, but there were some words that he had to stop and look at the, uh, what do you call that, the translator. You know, and, and my mom was there and she was, you know, over listening to the conversation and, and she would she would laugh and say, "Oh my goodness, he really he really isn't quite you know good at English at all." <laughs> said, you know, sometimes and and she would overlisten to the conversation because it you know I was I was on Skype and their house isn't massive and <laughs> so anyway so she 
she and I, and it was interesting because I didn't know who he was. You know, I just knew that this was the next piece and I was to interact with him. And I did share with him that I was doing a radio show, which was about a month prior to actually doing it. And he advised me, he straight out and said, I don't think you should do that radio show. I don't think you should come out <laughs> in a, in a, in a forum where people can identify you. And I thought that was really interesting, you know, that he was so adamant about that. And I shared with him, I said, you know what, that, thank you for, you know, being concerned about me, but I do know what I'm to do. And we kind of left it at that. And then after three and a half weeks, he just disappeared. You know, I, he disappeared off of Facebook. He disappeared off. Oh, well, oh wait, no, this was what happened. Um, so much has happened in such a short period. It's just, I'm trying to, (laughs) what happened was, is, is we were on Facebook and all of a sudden I was gone. My Facebook page just completely disappeared. And, and then all of a sudden my Skype makes that little noise. that goes beep. And I look at my Skype page and it's him. He says, why did you block me? I said, I didn't block you. I said, my Facebook just completely disappeared. And all of a sudden, we both felt this massive amount of energy. And he just says, get off of Skype right now. He says, go to Skype and put in a new password. He says, get off now. And the minute I got off, my my Skype page disappeared just out of nowhere. So my Facebook page disappeared and my Skype page disappeared. So it took me a few days to actually... Because somebody had gone into both my pages. They went into my Facebook page and my Skype page and redirected all of it. So I actually essentially had to create a new Skype page because that one was history. So I tried to get a hold of him, but he he wasn't available. I mean, he just disappeared off the map. And that was a story that happened. And I had no... It was inconclusive because I didn't have the answers. I didn't know why this gentleman from Russia was speaking to me. I never interact with anybody from Russia, you know. And so I didn't know the answer to that until Joe and I got face to face. And he didn't even know that I was interacting with the Russians. So about a few months, about a few weeks after that, Joe got a hold of me. And that's when I actually went and met him and did the boot camp. And this was about... I'd say only about three months ago, me and Joe started this conversation and, and he says, I, he says, I think it's about time that you understand why you have a Russian connection and a United States connection. I said, that would be wonderful. He said, he said, remember when I called you from that private, private sat link that one day and I just got off the plane. I said, yeah, I, how could I not remember it? It's seared in my consciousness. He says, well, I was in Russia at that time. He says, I was summoned to meet Putin. Putin had, had summoned me out there. He set, he set up the, the plane to leave. He set up all the information. And he said, and when I arrived, they gave me a GovCom. They gave me a satellite phone so that I could call anybody that I wanted to call. And I, he says, the only person on that phone I called was you. I said, so, so that phone was was tracked by the he goes everything that was on that phone was heard and they they know who you are 
And that's when I had the correlation. And I told Joe, I go, well, let me share something with you. I said, before you contacted me, I had a three and a half week conversation with a Russian who would not allow me to actually get a visual. And, and now I understand why, because the call. So that was essentially a connection through, through Putin. And the reason I'm going I'm to go into this, because I, you, you need to understand why Putin wanted a face-to-face with Joe. Yes, definitely. Joe went to, went to London to meet with Prince Michael. Prince Michael is part of the royal family. Um, they were doing a DNA test and all sorts of tests on Joe to see where he lined up. So they were doing extensive tests on him, and he came out being all three of the bloodlines, which is, is Colbert, Sachs, and Goth. Okay, that, those are all three threads of the bloodline. Which are Germanic. That's, what the, uh, that's who the British royalty are. Yes, and it's also the Romanovs, which has to do with Russia, which is the connection from Russia to Putin to Joe. Okay, and and the Queen only has two of those threads, and Prince Michael only has one of those threads. So when you understand that Joe had all three of the threads, and that he was essentially the SOP officer for for the Giannis group, do you understand the magnitude of what he, the power that he entailed? So Putin had gotten wind of of who. And wanted to do a face-to-face with Joe. He wanted a, a visual and to sit down and have, have a conference with Joe, which he did. And in, in that, the telephone call trans, transpired. And then I got my profiling and surveillance through, through Russia. Now, I, I'm, this is inconclusive, and I don't know. But I have a feeling that that conversation was actually with Putin himself. Because when Joe told me that, I went to YouTube and I looked at all the YouTubes that Putin had done and I listened to his voice frequency. And I'm, I, I don't want to say I'm 100% sure because I do not have confirmation for that. So somewhat it's inconclusive. I do feel that, that will, the answers to that will come also very soon. Hmm. So, you know, and, and I'm... When I was in, the, in another location that I was in, I had surveillance by an Armenian Russian. You know, I'm very aware of energetically of who's, who is surveying me. You know, and if I'm in a room and I see somebody walk in and, you know. So anyway, that was really interesting. So the pieces of the puzzle are essentially falling into place. There are a few things that I don't have information for but i do believe that that will also come come forth so what were the russians trying to gain out of all this just um trying to figure out the greater plan of everything going on well yeah i think what's going on is there's there's so many layers right now and they're trying to figure out the piece of the puzzle themselves i mean putin has come come out with some pretty pretty heavy duty accusations that's true and he has been very clear and very forthcoming with his his information, and so I believe that there's they want to know exactly who's on the table and what's going on. So there, right now, there's just a lot of 
surveillance, a lot of investigations, a lot of information being um, found out. And that's what's happening. Have you found in uh, the things you've uncovered that the Russians are not exactly playing ball with the rest of the New World Order crowd? Well, my – this is – either they're, they're playing more in it than you think and it looks like they're not. Do you know what I mean? Well, that's what I, I was wondering because the Russians don't like to be played at all. They, no. They're, they're notorious, you know, notorious chess players as it were. Exactly. And I was wondering if they're kind of trying to do their own game and maybe playing along but – I don't know. I'm just asking in general to see if they've kind of got their own agenda here. Well, yeah. Well, you know, and this is what's interesting right now because the loyalties and and the what people have agreed to is being kind of compromised at this time. I mean, there is a lot of stuff going on that's not that's not status quo and that there were agreements that weren't were broken because there's information that is at is is moving at such a high speed that it's changing things almost daily so so what was one thing one day is certainly different the next day and that's what i'm seeing i'm seeing it over and over that that there's a lot of changes and i'm going to get into that regarding the key men and my understanding with that. So it's just, it's the biggest chess game right now. And there's so many layers of it. And, um, every single day there's a, there's a new piece. And right now there's nothing in concrete. It's like, it's moving like liquid, meaning one thing can just throw off the entire, you know, construction of it. So that's what I'm explaining right now. And the, and the key men, you know, they, their plans have not gone exactly as they've liked them to. And, and right now they're hitting what I call a wall. They're hitting the wall and, they, and they're looking for – they don't know everything. I mean they may be extremely intellectual and extremely advanced, but they don't know everything. Nobody knows everything. And that is the entire way the design works. You know, no, you know, when, the more you know, the more you don't know. And so the key men do not like not knowing. They don't like not knowing. I think out of everything, that's their pet peeve. You know, there, there's, I don't want to say there's an arrogance because I'm not even sure if they can even comprehend that because they don't feel anything. They don't, they don't have feelings like people do. They don't really have a heart chakra. That is why they, they vampire everything and they move energy around and they utilize it. They're emotionless. You know, like there's nothing there. You, you can see their eyes, but there's, you know, they're not going to, you know, they're not going to feel emotions. Would you say they have something to do with the archons? Yeah, I, I would say that. Yeah. Well, the description you just gave sounds very similar to the Gnostic description of Archons, and it almost sounds like, yes. you know, I don't know if any one um, mythological sect has it right, mm -hmm. and it's it's more like you see the same archetypes repeated in different right. cultures. Right. So I'm just kind of putting the pieces together here. This seems like it's all kind of the same thing. Yeah. There's a, there's a monotone type personality that they all have. It's like a trait. They, they just – they don't feel anything and it's, it's hard to explain unless you've experienced it. Um, but back to my point is that they're essentially hitting a wall. There's, there's disrupt, disruptions. 
the game plan isn't going as, as planned. That's why it's not consistent. You know, there's been lots of upheaval, but it's not moving along at a consistent rate that they had, they had planned or that they want to achieve. And I'll go into why that's not happening. Um, well, one of the reasons why is the energy is changing. There's so many light workers here. The frequency is, is so powerful. But what happened was is they, they're, they're trying to tap into different timelines. And if you understand energy, they're trying to hook in to, a, to the timeline that's being constructed. There's a timeline that, that the earth is going down. Well, they're, they're, they wanted it to be on a different timeline, so they're trying to hook into the timeline. And they're, they're having difficulty doing that. And I want to explain another thing. Uh, they are not eternal beings. Do you know what an eternal being is? Meaning there's a, there's a time expiration date. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So, so this timing is of the essence right now. And due to the fact that they're hitting walls, they don't, it's why they're watching so many people right now. It's like they want to know what's going on. They want that piece of information. They need they need that to to process. So my point is is the reason why that they are monitoring Joe and I at such a high level. And I did not understand this until recently myself cuz cuz I'm just this person who just essentially came out you know what, like a year ago, reluctantly came out a year ago. And, and all of a sudden, my life exploded and all this information and I had, I had so much. I mean, honestly, it, it, it was, I just wanted to crawl under a rock. I, I, I essentially still want to crawl under a rock, you know, but what transpired in my nine months of training, the revealing, the information and everything is that the information that I, I hold with inside myself. See, I, I'm not programmed. I'm not, you, you can't microchip me. You can't mind control me. And that is why there's all this physical surveillance. I mean, because I'm not tracked in those senses. And I've played a lot of games with them. You know, I've changed cell phones. I'm, I'm on my sixth cell phone in the last nine months. <laughs> so, you know, and it's disconcerting. You know, when you have a group and groups watching you, there's a part of me that was like, you know what? No, this is, you can't do this to me. This is my life. And after a while, I, I realized essentially what, what was really going on and what that entailed. So I don't have the ability, they don't have the ability to, to get inside my head. Okay. Do you know what an etheric implant is? No, I'm not familiar with that term. Okay. Well, there are certain energetic implants and there are certain types of physical implants. Like when people get microchipped and they work for the government, it's physical. You can pull it out and you can see it. Okay. An etheric implant is an energetic implant. It's like a programming system. It's like a computer. It's like, it's like fiber optics in a sense. Well, I know this is going to sound out, like out of a movie, but I have what is called the etheric implant that is essentially around my brain. It looks like a green octagon. And it's similar to what a firewall is. You know what a firewall is, right? Yes. Okay. Well, that caps over my brain. And, and none of the information with inside my brain can be accessed 
Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay, so that is what is called an etheric implant. And there, you know, I've worked with a lot of people that have etheric implants. A lot of people who are who are at the top of the apex understand what, you know, an etheric implant is. There's various different types of them and various different levels of why people have them. So, back to what I was sharing. The information that I can that is contained is necessary for what I call the the Council of Twelve, which is the top of the apex. Okay, twelve is another very symbolic number. Jesus had twelve disciples, mm-hmm. twelve months in a year, and twelve actually is the one and three add together is one and two add together equals three. The number three means creation. Do you understand that? Mm-hmm. So, so twelve is essentially creating new realities. It's a creation. So anyway, 12 is, is very symbolic. So the Council of 12 have been trying to figure out why they have been surveying me. They don't know why. They, they have not a clue why. And now I'm saying to them, and that is essentially what the radio show essentially is about, that the information that I have is the information that they're looking for. And I, I figured that out when I was training for nine months. That is why they've been surveilling me. That is why I've had so much going on right now. And I did not know that until I went deep into, into the information, into the story. And Joe and I retrieved and understood that same information at, at the same time. And Joe now is it has been has been picked up and is working is working with them. Hmm. Okay. And let okay, let me explain information to you. Okay, information opens doors. Okay, high energy frequency are keys. Okay. So this information is 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 a piece that needs to be delivered and it it's it's what i call fell safe there's a fell safe to it meaning that when it's delivered to the 12 it will go into them differently meaning they cannot work separately it has to be a group effort and it has a fell safe to it and a fell safe energetic system meaning that if that information is inappropriately used in any way it will automatically destruct does that make sense to you? Mm-hmm. Okay. So that is essentially the surveillance, the constant hounding of, of what has been going on. And, you know, Joe has been, he's been taken. He is, he is working now. He is doing what he needs to do. And I spoke to him. I've been, I, you know, periodically cause he's, he's not on the radar anymore. So today I spoke him he's 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 like okay michelle this is the show i'm like i know so anyway so so he's like all right we'll just you know waiting for the next piece so anyway so that so understand how information is used okay do you understand what i'm saying yes okay it's kind of like you know when they have 
they have what they call the monarch monarch sex slaves. Mm-hmm. That's how they transmit information. That you know, the female will have sex with the man. She'll go and have sex with someone else. They transfer these keys of information. That is how inf- energy information is transferred, and that's why they're essentially created. They're essentially, I, I wouldn't want to say they're spies, but on some level, they don't even know that they're carrying the information. Right. So that is essentially what is sort of going on. And, the, and let me explain why they need the information. The key men have essentially created this reality that is, that is for a better purpose, there's the bigger plan. On some level, it has served a purpose, and on some level, it, it hasn't. And we're in a free will zone. Earth is a free will zone, means everything here is acceptable. There are other planets where there is not free will. There are other planets where this is the way it is. But Earth is free will, meaning anything goes and everything is possible and everything is allowed. But there seems to be a contest for control of it. Exactly, exactly. But in the bigger scheme of that free will zone, there is the other layer which is the founders, the universal laws. Well, that, those universal laws now are, are, are tapping in, and they're, they're coming. They're coming. Okay, so the key men who have basically taken Earth for a ride, if you, if you want to call it that, are between a rock and a hard place. So they have the opportunity right now to, to clean up you know, you know what I mean? Clean up the situation because they're not eternal beings. So they're either going to have to jump ship or clean up the situation. And that is essentially where they're at. They, they have an opportunity to go down a different road. And it's the proverbial fork in the road. Like I always talk about, every single person has those choices. Well, this is the, the choice. You know, they can either adapt and shift to, to, to the higher frequency or they have to jump ship. And the universal laws and, and what governs beyond that is, is taking control of that. Okay. Well, this all makes sense to me. Okay. So good. <laughs> so anyway, so, so that's essentially where we're at and what's going on. So the whole point is uh, by putting this out there, it'll change the dynamic. Right. Well, well what it is, it's essentially – they haven't known why they're curious. They haven't known why they're constantly monitoring Joe and I. And I didn't know why, to be perfectly honest with you. I, I only got the information just about a few months ago. You know, and I was trying to, you know, deter them. I was getting, you know, this iPhone and that iPhone, changing my numbers and all that stuff because I, I, I was looking at it at a different level. And I didn't have the greater understanding that I have of it now, you know, and I've had the dreams and I've, I've had all those informations in the last few months of, okay, now I get it. Now I'm okay with the surveillance. Now I'm okay. You know, I'm going to keep my phones. I'm not going to play the games because I understand that that information is an opportunity. Do you understand? It's an opportunity. Mm-hmm. So, so that is where we're at now. That is where I'm at all right, so let's get into that. Yeah, and so, and just recently, last week, I had an experience with a surveillance, and they're redirecting my phone, and they actually approached me, and I got really upset about it, you know? And it's part of it, and I do feel that in the next few weeks that I will be approached, and I will be, 
be asked to be taken and have this information transferred. And that is, I had a dream before I left to come here where that occurred. So. All right. So, uh, well, how much of this are you going to disclose now? Regarding the information? Mm-hmm. No, actually, I'm not going to disclose that. Oh, okay. Yeah. That, you mean what I, what I concealed and what I have? Right. It's essentially just, it, it's a map on how to realign things and how to clean things up and put things in a much better alignment mathematically. You know, it's, it's just to, it's, it's an opportunity is really what it is. It's, you know, I think everybody needs a chance or, or a second chance or, you know, if somebody really wants to change, they're given an opportunity. I've never seen any door shut to someone who's banging on it and says, hey, wait a minute. I, you know, I really want to do this. I don't, I don't believe that a soul is doomed to just, you know, damnation or just go that direction. I think everybody has an opportunity to, to grow and to change and, and want to be different and, you know, not stagnant. We're moving forward. And let's, let's live this way now. That is, that is the opportunity. And that is what I believe every single soul has that opportunity. Well, that would go hand in hand with the free will idea. Yeah, exactly. You know, nothing, nothing is in cement. You know, nothing is in concrete. That can't be shifted or changed or a desire to want, you know, to go in a different direction. So that essentially is, you know, what I'm, what I'm, what I'm getting from it. So where are we at now? Considering the fact that, that I'm coming out and sharing this with them. And my radio shows, you know, I mean, the show that I did with you had an, an, a large amount of listeners. You know, I'm not comfortable doing these shows. I was never really comfortable coming out at all. But but those who are listening are the ones who are going to receive the information because it's a multi-energetic information. When they tap in, they're going to feel and they're going to know and, and you know, it's going to come into fruition and in order. So, you know, essentially that's all how shows work anyway. They're just they're just platforms for, you know, data and information to come through. Sure, yeah. So that was essentially why I came on the show. I wanted to explain, you know, a few major pieces and, you know, what's going on. But there there is tremendous amounts of changes and, and not all of them are going to be pleasant. It's going to be a very difficult ride. You know, even though it's going in a, in a in a different direction doesn't mean that there's going to be destruction because with any kind of change, change is destructive. You know, it comes in, it does what it has to do and it levels out. You know, and it's why I did the training, you know? I mean, I I needed to be physically, mentally and emotionally prepared and I did. You know, and it wasn't just an eight-week boot camp. It was, it was grueling, and and I wanted to be completely prepared. But it is difficult. I mean, we're going through some really difficult times. There's going to be a lot of people who are going to choose to leave, and who aren't going to want to make the shift. And scenarios and situations have to be created to get them off the planet. You know, you, you, just, you just cannot have an entire race of people spontaneously combusting in the streets. 
there has to be a vehicle for them to get off the planet. Vehicles have to be set up like like earthquakes. When when an earthquake comes and there are many lives lost, well those souls go on to the next. Okay? It's it's an out for a soul. Do you understand that? Mhm. It's a doorway. Sure. Well, well, you know, the human mind is fragile and you you and there's a lot of souls leaving. If you ha- if you haven't noticed this year, 2016, we've had a lot of people leave. Okay. Well, there's certainly been a lot of celebrities that have just sort of moved on. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. I mean, every week there seems to be this celebrity leaving that celebrity. But that is just an example of all the people that you don't don't make the radio or don't make the TV show. Though, you know, the average folks that that are leaving, there are enormous amounts of people who are leaving right now. There's a, enormous amounts of suicide. There's enormous amounts of people who, who aren't making the shift because what's happening is the frequency is so high that unless the, their nervous systems are adapting. And a nervous system is like fiber optics, okay? Nervous systems take takes in light frequency. Well, if they're not going to make the shift, their nervous system is not compatible with the new energy, it's like taking a 500-volt light bulb and sticking in it in a lamp that's only going to take 200. Okay, you're going to short fuse. Sure, yeah. Okay, essentially that is what's happening. You cannot have people spontaneously combusting. Okay, so the vehicles of departure come in different forms and different ways. And then the souls that have chosen are going to jump on those forms. Do you understand that? Mm-hmm. Okay, so that is what is essentially happening too. So my point is that it's still, even though we're going to this brand new world and a brand new frequency, there's still going to be the difficulties that are going to get us there. They're still going to happen. Okay. And, And the human mind and its aptitude and its perception is going to have to be able to wrap itself around the magnitude. Okay, the mind is fragile. It is very fragile. It, it, it can snap. You know, I mean, it's kind of like the MK Ultra soldiers that literally are pushed to the limits and they snap. Their brains cannot handle the, the aptitude and they can't comprehend what's happening. Well, well, okay, you take a super soldier like that. We'll take a common human whose DNA is damaged. You know, it's damaged. How, how are they going to perceive that mentally? And they're not. Right. Well, they're not going to be able to interpret properly. Exactly. So you're going to have like a lot of melt, mental breakdowns. And that is also what's happening. I mean, there is so much stuff that is not being heard on the news that it's happening. Okay. There's a lot of suicides. There's a lot of people just picking up guns and killing their whole families. In the situation that I was in, there were like three people that got shot when I was there. You know, I mean, it was the neighbors, the next door neighbor. I mean, there were people dying all around us that didn't even make the news. And I ran into a gentleman who actually told me about the white vans the white vans that are going to different cities and picking up the, the homeless well, and discard and guard. Yeah. I ran into a guy who said, we saw the white vans and we ran from the white vans. He said, they're, they're coming. So they're exterminating the, the homeless people. Yes. Why? Because they're, they're just getting rid of them. They, they see them as, as throwaways. It's pest control in their mind. 
Exactly. And so so they're discarding them because they don't see their that they're not I don't want to say that they're they're not worthy. Everybody's worthy of life, but they're not seeing them as productive. So they're scooping them up. I believe they use the term useless eaters, but they kind of extend that to the majority of us. Exactly. Well, now, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> but anyway, and they also depending on if they have relatives and things like that, they're also using them for their body parts, for their hearts, for their kidneys, for their lips. So they're harvesting them as well. Mm-hmm. I've heard that. So, you know, I had heard I had heard of the white bands, but I had never spoken to anybody who actually physically saw them and ran from them, which I did. I, I had confirmation. So until I actually get confirmation verbally from somebody, then I'm still, you know, kind of, well, Unless I see it and, I, and, I, and I've experienced it and someone has flat out told me, then I believe it. So anyway, so that essentially what was going on too, which didn't surprise me because in some of the situations that we were in, it was pretty darn bad, okay? And I was not in a very hugely populated area, you know, like L.A., there's, I mean, there's so much homeless in Los Angeles. There's so much homeless in what I heard Alaska. I had a conversation with a, with a couple that said Alaska is out of control. So think about all the cities that we're not hearing about. You know, you live in Baton Rouge. I mean, how, do you, how many homeless people do you have? Or how many? I mean, there are certain areas. I see people everywhere by the freeways uh, holding signs. Exactly. And and there are other cities that even have more, you know, so it is getting rampant. Well, the city also seems unusually dense, mm-hmm. like like as far as the population, it, it, the roads get to near gridlock and I don't understand why, why there's right. so many people right here. I mean, there's so much, Louisiana is huge. There's so much space people could be in, but it seems to be like they're all just packed together in a, in a small area. Oh, yeah. Since I arrived back in L.A., I cannot get over the traffic. It is 24 hours a day, nonstop, seven days a week. Sunday, I was out running around and bumper to bumper. Okay, and I and and normally that's Monday through Friday work week. No, I, I don't know where they came from, but this town is just riddled with people. So many people, and it's the weather, you know, I understand that because when I was in the location I was at, it was snowing and freezing and, you know, everything. So I can understand the lure of California because it, you know, I even miss California weather. You know, I missed it because it's so perfect, but this is people out of control. There's, it's, it's just everywhere. (laughs) And, you know, and we had the, you know, even before I came here, they had the the methane gas leaks. And that's a whole other subject, okay? The methane leaks lasted four months. And they were, they were, the news was saying that it was only in Porter Ranch. Well, it wasn't only in Porter Ranch. It was in Pasadena. It was in Chino. There, and there was another location. What happened was, is they, this, this methane was allowed to leak out. And when the methane mixes with the chemtrails Mm. becomes a very, very toxic poison. So when I came out here, it was after the fact and after they said that they they capped them, I essentially, once I hit the air here, oh, I felt it. And I was in perfect weather. I mean, I perfect, you know, it was beautiful. There was, you know, the air quality was unbelievable. But when I hit LA and I came over, you know, it was like, okay, wow. No, I definitely noticed it when I visited there in August. Oh, it was just severe. My whole body had to adjust to it. 
from what I understand, the cane trails out there are really, really bad too. Oh, they're so bad in Hollywood. It's like it's like looking at a chessboard. And it was it was so funny because this I thought was I mean, I don't want to say it's funny, but this is the way this whole situation works. About five months ago, they came on the news here in California and LA and and told everybody that they the water was poisoned and that they're poisoning the water. And they they made a list of all the drugs and antidepressants and all the stuff that's in the water. And they just put it out there, right? You know, L.A., we're poisoning you, technically, and we're poisoning New York. And you're paying for it. Exactly. <laughs> and then, you know, exactly. And then, and then I told my mom, and she says, I said, and, and, what's, and what's really remarkable is they own the, radio, they own the news station. So te- technically, they're basically coming forward and saying, this is what we're doing. We're not hiding it anymore. We're going to put it on the news. And then my mom's like, she goes, well, why would they do that? I'm like, well, think about it. Why do you think they're going to do that? Well, they want you to know because they want you to get upset. They want you to get upset that you start screaming and yelling and getting in the streets and start causing commotions like they've been trying to instigate with race wars and all these other situations so that they can scoop you up and they can implement martial law. Why do you think they're telling you? Well, it's also part of the weird karmic law thing that they do where they, they have to tell you what they're doing to you. Oh, right. And then it makes it okay because you don't say anything. Exactly. But then when you do say something is when they're going to instigate martial law. So it's like it's it it runs into their plan either way. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're going to do what they're going to do. So. So it's just it's really getting interesting out there. And there's going to be some more. There's going to be weapons used and there's going to be earthquakes, just like we have continued it's going to get to such a heightened state and you know a lot of people are talking about what is called gloom i know simon parks mentioned the time period called gloom where where it will be just that there there will be a a, a deadening of kind of like a reset on the planet you know mm. and and we're approaching that time you know where it's going to be very difficult and and only the strongest of species and those who have said yes will survive. You know, I mean, we're we're going into all that right now. Well, even what the the, the elite are doing to us, they're hitting us on so many levels. It, it's eventually going to catch up to the, the masses of humanity, anyway. Right. I mean, they're they're just absolutely devastating the environment in lots of little ways that are going to have a cumulative effect. Right. And that's another thing. I mean, they have gone so against the natural laws of nature. They have bent nature to suit them. And in, in my Native America belief system, we we bend ourselves to, to, to nature. It's not the other way around. So the manipulations and the controls are so intense and on every level, you know, and I'm, you know, and then... And, you know, instigating earthquakes, you know, making them bigger, making hurricanes bigger. They're manipulating all the natural sources and there's, they're just going to bottom out because it, it can't continue. You know, energetically, nature will respond and it will come back in, in, a, in such a backlash. Right. Well, that's what it's going towards anyway. They're, they're hitting everything so hard that uh, it's got to have repercussions yeah. in the long run. You know, and and the oceans and 
are, I mean, fish. I mean, I don't even know how people even eat fish anymore. I mean, I know people eat sushi and I'm like thinking, do you really understand what you're eating? You know, there's so much toxins in, in everything now. You, you can't even eat vegetables anymore. There's so much toxins in that as well. Right. And the, the soil is depleted of minerals and then there's God knows what in it. And uh, I, know, I know for a fact that uh, people don't realize that the repercussions of what Fukushima has done over the past oh, few yeah. years. I mean, that there's just, and that's not done. That's nowhere near done. Exactly. Well, was there anything else that you wanted to get to that we haven't hit on yet? No, I think I pretty much covered what I needed to cover and say what I need to say. You know, uh, considering the pieces of the puzzle and the and the information that has been given to me as of late, which is it's coming at such a rapid pace right now. I'm, you know, processing it all. I think I've pretty much covered everything I set out to cover and I hit every single base that I, you know, all the discoveries that I have that I wanted to share. I think I did that. You know, coming from what I think would be the listener point of view, I think they'd want to know more about the training you went through. Oh, okay. Well, well, why don't, well, ask questions because I, because I, you know, I don't know. What would your audience like to know? Well, I would, I would think they'd want to know, like you're mentioning physical things and psychic slash mental things. What, what kind of actual training did you do? Was it uh, almost like a military boot camp kind of thing where they had you doing physical workouts? And then on top of that, you were doing things like remote viewing? Yeah, I did a lot of training. Okay. Physically, I, it, it was sometimes like 110 with 100 humidity. And I, I was, I was traipsing with backpacks and walking and, and just to the point of where you don't want to do it anymore, but you have to train your mind and body to continue. You have to basically talk to your cells and your molecular structure and say, no, you're not tired. You can do this. So I learned how to speak. You know, I've, I've, I've always known how to speak to my body, but this was beyond it was beyond what my body was capable of doing. I had to push myself even further, you know, even further. And sometimes it, it was not always with food. It was, it was under circumstances that if, if situations on the earth got so severe that, that I was physically, mentally, and emotionally capable of surviving, it was that kind of training. So you already experienced what could possibly happen in a very bad situation. Exactly. Exactly. And I, and I was in 27 degree snow and I was out. I wasn't, I was living, you know, out. I was not living inside any structure. So there was no heat. I had to get dressed when it was 27 degrees outside and my body was freezing. I had to adjust my mind to tell my body that it wasn't cold, that my body was going to do okay, that no matter what you were going to continue. So I had, it was a lot of mental and physical training and it was difficult. I mean, during the summer, I got bit up by bugs, okay? They, there were snakes, there were cottonmouths, and there were, were what the, those brown recluse spiders. Yeah. There were, you know, I mean, I was in the forest, okay, forest. Okay, there were, there were animals, there were, you know, we had raccoons as family that would come up and we would feed them and, you know, we named one of them Kiwi and Wiki. <laughs> they were the sweetest things and we hung out with them and, you know, we had just, you know, birds and bobcats and, <laughs> you know, I never experienced anything like that. I'm a city girl. You know? <laughs> mm, totally different situation. 
It was. I mean, I was just, I think I was in shock for like the first three months because I was like telling myself, okay, honestly, this isn't really happening. But I knew that it was, you know, so, so it was so funny. Oh, and I got sores and, you know, you don't wash your hair for six days. There's a whole lot that goes on up there. I mean, stuff happens. Mm. So I had like, oh my gosh, I, you know, luckily, you know, Joe's like, I've never met anybody who has a sense of humor. He said, if anybody's going to get through this, you are. Oh, I had to laugh. And there were times where all I wanted to do was cry. And I did cry. I mean, I, and, and Joe was sweet because he's just, he's, he's such a trooper, man. He's gone. I mean, he's had six near death experiences. The guy's been shot up. Okay, he's got bullet wounds, you know, and here I am crying in the in a tent, and I'm like, oh my god, if I get bit one more time by a mosquito, I mean, he's just looking at me, you know. He, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was rough, and I I had never been bit so bad, you know. When I lived in Canada, we had a lot of mosquitoes that would bite you, and I'd get bit up, but this was like. I, I bloody. I just wanted to be, you know, just bludgeoned because because the itching and the and the severity of my skin. I just I just wanted to go screaming. If if, if I could have a zipper from the top of my head to, and I could unzip it and run out my body, that's what I wanted. Literally, I I wanted to do that. I just I I came to what is called the prep purposes or prep. What do you call that word? The, there's a point where it was like I came to that point where I just couldn't handle it anymore. That brick wall that you have to either you're either going to pass it or you're going to you're going to collapse. Right, you're either going to fall. And I just sat there one day and I was in that tent, and I was just thinking, you know what? I would really love to be sitting by a fire with a nice little cafe mocha right now, <laughs> with my with my little feet and some hot water or whatever. But I was in so much pain. I had never felt physical pain like that. And I've had three children, okay? And I've had three children without any medicine. I did not do the 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 medication. I did not do the painkillers. I had my three children the way they were meant to come out. So when I did this situation, I would have rather had my ba- I would rather have more kids. In fact, I, I wouldn't mind having twins, considering what I went through. There were times where I just wanted to close up and say, "Okay, time out. When do I leave? When's the plane leave? Can I get on that right now?" It was rough, but you know what? You know what is that saying? Um, it was the pearl. I had to find that pearl. I had to find that perfect state of zero point with inside my physical flesh where I could basically overcome anything. And, and I did, and I learned how to, how to shoot a semi-automatic handgun. I, I learned how to survive a, a snake bite. I learned, I mean, a lot, so much stuff. I mean, it was the time of my life. I have to say it really was. There were days where I didn't eat. There were days where, you know, I was just so exhausted from not having food and having to deal with my physical body not being what it normally was, you know, itching and scratching and freezing. And, you know, there were times where I was just shaking uncontrollably. I mean, I was just, it was so cold. I just, I just wanted to like crawl in a ball and just fall asleep. And that's normally how people die. So those circumstances is what, is what created me now. I mean, I don't think there's any situation that I cannot handle. So I'm so grateful and thank, thankful for that nine months because, you know, I am different from that nine months. And and do it again? Oh, gosh, would I do it again? Yeah, I probably would. Yeah. You know, but, but you know, it's not for the weak at heart. You know, it's not a, it's not an 8 to 12, 
you know, 12 week, you know, you, you join the Air Force and Army or Navy, Navy SEAL. It's not like that. This was this was brutal. What about the mental aspect of it? Or did you do psychic training? Yes, I did. I already have skills. So when I got trained by Joe, I, I, they were just to enhance the abilities and knowledge that I already had. I learned how to mental spar, which means to get in somebody's head and energetically, someone who's actually really gifted, and you're sparring back and forth mentally, to be able to what I call, I don't want to say call it piggyback, but, but to, to override whatever they're trying to do. So I learned a lot of mental psychic abilities and, and I learned, you know, you know, I did learn how to, how to, you know, give people a heart attack and give people, you know, a brain aneurysm. I mean, I already kind of knew how to do that, but I, I, it's not something that I would ever do. You know, I've known it. I don't even, you know, it's not something that I would purposely go out and say, Hey, I'm going to kill you. (laughs) You know, I mean, but I, but I learned specifically how, how the Giannis group does it and how in step-by-step step, the procedure and how to fix my mind around it and how to fix the energy around it and how to utilize the energy around me. I, I learned all, all how to do that, yes. And how many people were at this training? Well, it was interesting because there was a lot. It was just me and Joe, but on the outside, there was, there was we had, I had a somewhat support I guess you could say that if that if I needed to if I needed to leave I could leave at any given time. Do you know what I mean that that, that I would be t- taken care of. Basically it was kind of like a fell safe. Like okay if she collapses then we we, we were right there. Do you know what I mean? But mm-hmm. essentially I didn't like that either because it was always something that was I didn't want easy. I don't do easy. If I'm going in then I don't want like a safety net. You know, I, I'm, I'm going in full throttle, you know, I don't, but, but there were times where I was like, okay, can I, can I leave now? <laughs> can, can I go? I'm ready to go now, <laughs> you know, but, but I, it was mind over matter, mind over matter every step of the way. And I didn't, I did not give in. I wasn't, my soul and my spirit would not even let me do that. You know, it was like talking to yourself. It's like, oh, no, Michelle, you you have to this is a night you have to commit to this. This is this is what it was. Now you stand, you know, you cannot fall. You know, this is it, you know, and I wouldn't I I wouldn't let myself fall. I wouldn't let myself renege or say enough is enough. There was I was going to go the distance and that just was all there was to it. It was just going to happen. It was necessary. It, you know, like Joe said, it was necessary. And he, he, he was a team player. I mean, he was a good little egg. Because there were times where I just wanted to like, oh, I just wanted to, I don't know, just go out in the forest and just scream and yell. <laughs> and you probably did it sometimes, didn't you? Oh, well, you know, you, you, I did everything else out there. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I won't go into detail for that. But yeah, it was, it was just an experience of, of a lifetime. There are certain times in your life where you have experiences and I'll never forget this. I mean, I never will. And it's not even, it's, you know, and I met some of the most beautiful people, you know, families and people that were just so strong. I mean, we used to go periodically, we'd go to what is called the, they had a, they had a church and we'd, we'd go down to the church once a month and all the homeless people and everybody who was poor would show up and, the, the preachers and the people that worked there, they would all make this beautiful 
beautiful dinner and lunch for us. And they would actually have tablecloths and candles and real silverware and real, real glass plates. And they would literally serve us. I mean, we were, we were the, the destitute of, of the entire city and they would wait on us. They would come to the table and fill up our glasses with whatever. It was it, out of humanity. It was the most beautiful thing to see because people on that level don't get treated like that. It was like going to, to, to a five-star hotel or a five-star restaurant and having people serve you. But we're talking about people that, have, that walk in there and have been wearing the same clothes for over a week and haven't taken a shower. And they were getting respect. They were getting love. They were getting a, a really wonderful hot meal. And we did that every month. And, and they didn't know who I was. They didn't know why I was there. But I always kind of walked away with tears in my eyes and I've started to cry now <laughs> because it was like, because they needed that. Do you know what I mean? They needed it to believe and to keep going. It gave and them it, some humanity back. Yes. And it was so beautiful to be there and experience it. And there were some of the most beautiful people, like some of the young kids would show up and they would actually serve and, you know, they'd say hi. You'd, you'd all have to have like a little a name. They'd give you a, a pen and paper, and you have to write your name on your shirt and stick the sticky. <laughs> and they would they would call you by your name and treat you with respect. And some of the young kids that were in the church group would say, "Hi, Michelle. How are you today?" You know, and it's like they actually want to know your name. You know, I mean, most people who are who are in that situation, they don't care who you are. They don't care what your name name is. You know, so there was that moment that I saw that. They got that respect. They got that acknowledgement. And everybody walked away from that situation. Like, I'd say reborn or rebirth, kind of kind of something to give them another reason to, to go the, the next week or to survive for the next week, you know. I mean, those are the beautiful things I saw. And I, you know, it made the nine months worth it because after the end, everybody, I left so suddenly and a lot of people didn't get to say goodbye to me. You know, and I made some really beautiful connections with people and they, you know, I know they miss me and, and, you know, but I had to leave so quickly as I did. But, you know, there's a lot of great people out there and their circumstances vary. And I got to tell you, you never know who people are. You know, there was, there was this guy that was homeless who was a millionaire. He was a multimillionaire. And, but he did, he wanted to live the homeless life. That's what he chose to do. And we saw him every, every now and then he'd always sit on his bench and that was his bench. (laughs) And, and he literally got hit by a car and he was walking around with a cast and he was older and he was just, that was his life. And he was the happiest person I'd ever met. And he, he literally lived on the streets. He he walked around with his with with his um, what do you call that his his sleeping bag and he laid his head wherever he wanted to lay and and that is what he chose and very very wealthy. What did he do to maintain the other aspect of his life where he he has wealth? He I he inherited it or something and his family basically kind of wanted a, wanted pieces of it and wanted everything of it. And he just decided to say, you know what, I, I'm not into money. I'll use it to, to, you know, when I need it. But this is, he, I think he just got really tired of, of what humanity, their vision of money and, and what it does to people and how it Agreed. changes. 
Cool. Yeah. So he, he just said, you know what? I want to live a simple life. All my needs are getting met and this is how I'm going to live it. So he, that is, that was the choice he made, hmm. you know? Interesting. Yeah, it was fascinating. And I was just really shocked because, and everybody was so sweet and helpful. I mean, there were days where I, I had money and I, I would buy other people food. You know, I'd buy a bunch of people food that didn't have didn't have food that day and then there were days that we chose not to have food and then people would come up and buy us food i mean it was really i never experienced that before you know i mean it was all about camaraderie and humanity and oh what you're out of that oh let me take care of that for you well you you broke down that that first world western barrier that you know that that we all kind of live it's like a filter almost yeah and you know what's interesting is 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 that it is true. The people that need the most are the ones that give the most. And that is so true. And I have a story to share with you. This was fascinating to me. When I was in New York, and you're on Fifth Avenue, and you're walking down Fifth Avenue, and there's women with thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 fur coats on, okay? And I remember being there, and there was this elderly lady sitting in the corner, and she was old enough to be everybody's grandma, and she was homeless, and I remember walking up to her as these women in these fur coats are just walking by, not even acknowledging her. How could you not acknowledge this woman? I remember walking by and I had some $100 bills and I, and, I, and I looked at her right in the eye and I held up a $100 bill and I said, look. I said, this is $100. I said, you need it. Go get change. And, and I handed it to her because I was passing out $100 bills on Fifth Avenue. <laughs> and and. I don't know how you don't do that. How do you not do that? You know, and I wanted to, that's also why I had a lot of experiences with that. I wanted to be that woman. I wanted to be her and live that to see what that was like. Because it's like, how can you fight for, for, for humanity if you're not willing to really absorb it and really own it? I owned that for that nine months. I was that woman. You know, I was the girl. I was... I was the daughter of the of the the homeless family. You know, I wanted to embrace it and encompass that energy so that I could understand that. You can't to me, you can't fully grasp something unless you live it. And I did. And I and I I mean there were women that I met that were prostitutes that actually I mean they would sleep with anybody for drugs. And and ice I didn't even know what ice was. <laughs> I, I've never done any kind of drugs. I don't so know what I that is either, to be honest with you. I didn't know what it was either. I had no clue. Well, no, ice is, is another form of meth that is super bad for you. I mean, it, it, is, it is a cheaper version that they can make really inexpensive, but it will destroy you. And where I was, ice was the number one drug. And I had to be explained to what it was and what it does to people and how to – you know, what they look like when they're on it. And I got to tell you, I've met more people who are strung out on ice than, uh, I mean, it's wild to see the reactions. And and when they don't have the money, they go out and they prostitute. So right. there's a lot of people that we, read, that we were running up against you that would have sores, like legions all over their legs and their bodies because they had so many diseases. And they were just so riddled with this drug that they didn't even know if they were coming or going half the time. And all they wanted was their next hit of ice. And I was in that too. I watched them. I mean, I got, I watched people get arrested. I watched, I mean, I saw it all. I mean, I really did. I was, you know, I was, 
just there and I just took everything in I processed it all I learned I all of it you know so as far as a first world country goes you saw what the bottom is oh I saw it and I lived it I lived it along with all my physical training and all my processing of you know the psychic abilities and all that stuff I lived that life and everybody was curious, like they, you know, and I wore no makeup. I got my clothes every week at the local giveaway. And, and when you're done with your clothes, you just burn them. Okay. Hmm. And then you go, you go back and you get a new set of clothes and, and you don't all, you don't do laundry. I mean, sometimes we, we did laundry, sometimes we didn't, we just kept going to the clothes giveaway and getting new clothes and we just burn them in the bonfire and then go the following week and get some more clothes. So I, I looked, <laughs> my hair was a mess. Who knows what was living inside my hair, mm-hmm. you know, and, and shoes half the time, you know, I mean, I wasn't always wearing the appropriate shoes because sometimes we didn't get appropriate shoes and I was in t- freezing weather and I, my jackets weren't appropriate either. Cause there were times where I didn't have enough layers and I had to wear hats and gloves and it was snowing and I was in it, you know, I mean, it was just the wildest ride. And I have to share this with you cause this was really funny. <laughs> Joe, Joe, Oh God, how do I, I can't even, I can't even describe Joe is bigger than anything. I've the bigger than the world. I mean, he's just so amazing. And he, he's obscure. He doesn't have any identity. He doesn't really exist. But he does have an old ID that he had. He doesn't drive. He doesn't – he doesn't anything. He, and he had an ID that actually has like a code number on it. And um, he told me, he goes, he goes you'll, you'll learn. He goes, when something, when something happens and we're approached by, by lower agenda, you're, you're going to see what happens. And I, I'm like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> So we decided one day it was kind of cold and we wanted to treat. So Joe's like, I know, let's make s'mores. I'm like, s'mores? He says, yeah. He says, we'll build a fire and we'll go get some marshmallows and chocolates and graham crackers. We'll make s'mores. I'm like, oh, great idea. Right on. So we we scraped up some money and went and got our little bag of s'mores and came back to the camp and started this fire. Okay, well, the weather was really interesting that day. So what ended up happening is we had this massive fire, and what happened is it kind of huddled over the entire area of the grass, and it looked like the whole entire forest was on fire. So all of a sudden, we hear this, <laughs> so the fire truck shows up, and they're they're running through the bushes, and they're back there, and they're like, what's going on? And and, and Joe's like, get back in the tent. So I run back in the tent, and, and I'm hearing all this commotion. You know, and they're putting the fire out and Joe kind of peeks his head and he goes, well, you know, so much for some Mars. I guess it's not going to happen. And I just started laughing. I was just laughing. So then I knew that the cops were coming because I, I could, I remote viewed them and I actually saw them coming down the street. So I'm counting in my head, nine, eight, seven, six, seven. And all of a sudden I hear, so here comes the cops. <laughs> so they come down there. And Joe's like, okay, Michelle, you need to, you need to, you need to come out of the tent and get your, bring your ID. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. So I'm, so I'm traipsing. I'm just laughing. I'm laughing because it is just too much fun. And we're standing there, and, they, and Joe gives them his ID, and they're looking at me, and I hand him my ID. And I'm just sitting there. You know, I'm on my iPhone. And I'm tech. You know, I'm doing whatever I'm doing. I mean, I still have my technology. So, <laughs> so I'm just sitting there with my iPhone, and 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 they did not. The lower agenda didn't quite know who we were. You know, and. I'm thinking 
good God, they're probably thinking, what are they thinking? Because here I am, I'm, I'm Michelle Smith from Los Angeles, and my, my legal married name is Smith because my ex-husband is, was Smith. <laughs> so, so here I am from Los Angeles, Michelle Smith. Like, oh, yeah, that's really, a, you, know, a, you know, they're probably thinking, okay, what name really, who is she really, you know? And then the minute they took Joe's ID, and they, they run it through the machine. That was it. I'd never seen anything like that before. They literally just gave him the ID back and said, thank you very much, and walked away. They didn't ask anything else. Because once they ran that ID, there's a code on that ID. Right. And, and I mean, and Joe just looks at me and just smiles. I said, okay. I, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, all right, I get it. And he, you know, it was really funny. But yeah, everywhere we went, it's like, it was like that. So nobody touches Joe. Joe's, you know, just Joe. <laughs> hmm. So, so then I looked at him and I said, does that mean we, we don't get to do some wars anymore? <laughs> he just starts laughing. But there were times that were really fun. I mean, I got to say there were some really great funny times that were just, I mean, I fell one day. I, I came out of the tent and man, I just went down. <laughs> I went down so hard that, that. Joe was Joe was like, oh, "Are you okay?" I'm like, and I was laughing and laughing, and I hurt myself, and he instantly healed me. I mean, I could, I was in so much pain at the time, and I mean, he just worked on me, and instantly, it was as if nothing happened to me. I mean, bam! I was, I said, I don't feel anything. He goes, well, yeah. I said, <laughs> I just, he says, I zapped you. I go, yeah. But so. <laughs> And he says, just please don't go throwing yourself on the ground anymore. I'm like, okay, I'll try not to. But we, you know, there were some really wonderful, funny situations despite all the difficulty. And there had to be because there had to be the balance. There was there was no way that I could withstand that if there wasn't some really great moments. I mean, we had beautiful birds that I'd never seen before. And, I mean, they all would just come up right up to the camp because the, the energy between me and Joe was so powerful that they were just – they weren't afraid. They weren't scared. They weren't anything. Joe started calling me Snow White. <laughs> <laughs> he says, oh, come out. Kiwi and Wiki are out here. They want to see Snow White. So, anyway, so they, you know, started calling me Snow White and it was fun. I mean, we had some good laughs. I, you know, all that stuff was good. So, anyway, that was my nine months of – being in the forest and meeting the most beautiful people and having the most profound experience. One day I'm going to write a book when I'm, you know, I've got ways, I've got so much going on right now. I mean, I don't, I don't have time to sit down and pound out a book, but I do know that that's coming. I know that when I'm like 120 years old, you'll see this old lady sitting at the computer and I'll be tapping it out, but it's, it'll, it's coming. I know that I've always known that that book will be written. It's just not the time right now. There's too much happening. Well, to cap this all off, what, uh, what what's next for you? Um, well, what's next is I I don't think I will be here too much longer. I think a few weeks. I think what will happen is I will get brought in. That they're going to pick me up and they're going to bring me in. So that's and I and I and I don't want that to happen till after because I've got a few Hollywood parties to go to and I've got some people I still need to meet and have fun and. <laughs> So anyway, I'm like, wait a few weeks, guys. It's like, give me a few weeks. So now I'm going to be brought in soon, and Joe knows that too. So, <laughs> what do you think is going to be uh, on the agenda when that happens? Well, we're going to get to get down to some nitty gritty. We got some major work to do. I got to get this this stuff done and 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 get it implemented and get it get it rolling. And that's the serious stuff. I mean, you know, I have to. 
you know, this, the serious side to my life is really serious and it's really in depth and it's really, it takes a lot of mind and a lot of emotions, a lot of physical. So that's what the training was also for. So that's coming. But now I have, I, I need some downtime where I need to laugh and giggle and go play with my girlfriends and go to some really cool parties and hang out and meet new people because I did nine months of grueling. So now I'm just kind of chilling until the next piece, but the next piece is going to be really monumental. And that's really what I'm here to do. That piece is, is extensive. Well, I'd say you had a really interesting ride these past uh, this past half half plus year. So, <laughs> yes. <laughs> thank you for sharing the story with us, and uh, I guess we'll do this again sometime soon. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jason. I wish you were here. We could hang out again in Hollywood, and you oh, know, I plan on that. traveling again <laughs> as soon as possible. Oh, good deal. Yeah, because I enjoyed your company. We had a lot of fun when I saw you and yes, met you totally. for the first time. All right. Okay. Well, have a wonderful day, and thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Talk soon. Bye. Interesting stuff as always, and we'll see where it all goes. Take care. Bye.